Welcome to the DST podcast where we discuss issues that are relevant in our Indian context from both a theological and a practical perspective. Here's your host for today, Ranjit David. Welcome to this uh, podcast series and uh, I want to uh, welcome you to this uh, new episode and uh, this is an episode that is uh, very relevant to all of us and uh, we always uh, have questions about this and we would love to uh, uh, dive a little deeper into this topic which is the theology of suffering. Uh, today we have a guest, Anand Mahadevan, uh, who has planted New City uh, Mumbai and also consults with a leading uh, business newspaper who's going to join us. Uh, he is married to Aji and he's got uh, two children. Welcome, Anand. Thank you for joining us uh, this uh, for this podcast. Hi, Ranjit. Great to be here. So you are, you've been a business journalist and uh, how long have you been in this uh, world of journalism? Um, about 25 years now. Wow, 25 years. And uh, how long have you planted the church, uh, New City Mumbai? Uh, we began our pre-gathering phase where we were meeting on Friday evenings before we launched Sunday Worship, maybe around 10 years ago. But it's been about eight years uh, since we launched uh, Sunday Worship. Yeah, it's yeah, been I know a you have a great journey. Wonderful. I think you have a unique journey and, uh, uh, and a unique ministry in Mumbai. Uh, and I'm curious, how has your journalism... Uh, really helped you plant the church? How has that influenced and informed your church planning journey? Well, I would love to hear how that would happen. Yeah, my journalism has uh, shaped uh, church planting ministry a lot. Uh, I don't think I could have planned it. Uh, I don't think it was uh, my design. Uh, God sovereignly kind of uh, engineered uh, both my journeys, my journey in uh, journalism, and then uh, he uh, laid on my heart a desire and a burden a sense of calling to plant churches and he kind of brought the two journeys together so i could never have planned it and whatever i reflect on is with the benefit of hindsight and so looking back uh, ica uh, my time in journalism actually shaped my sense of burden um, sense of uh, what was a mission field god was calling me to and so you know i feel called drawn to reach english speaking professionals, entrepreneurs, and artists. And uh, that's the world I was in in business journalism. So it's definitely shaped uh, even my sense of calling to mission. Um, it's helped me uh, understand culture, um, uh, you know, understand uh, the gospel in the light of um, world culture in India. And I think that's a big part of our lives. Uh, so that's another way. And third, I was I spent most, most of my time in feature writing which is basically storytelling. And, uh, you know, the gospel is a beautiful story. It's the most beautiful story that a human could ever hear. And so so that experience in storytelling and journalism is definitely come of the way, in the, uh, helped in the pastoral calling as well. Thank you, Anand. We really appreciate uh, your ministry and uh, all that you're doing. Uh, I know you. you've... Uh, I know you've written uh, a little bit on this topic of the theology of suffering, and we'd love to hear uh, your thoughts and how you've been uh, wrestling with this idea and scripture. Uh, so before we jump into some of the practical questions about this topic, uh, what are some Bible passages uh, that you would go to to really understand this theology of suffering? What are some Bible passages that you can help us kind of process? Sure, sure. The Bible's full of people who've suffered and God's uh, allowed that suffering. Uh, we can see that God's used suffering to test people. Uh, God used uh, its uh, suffering as God's used suffering to refine people. And they will come out better for it. 
And so the Bible is full of people who have endured suffering. Uh, there are many passages you could go to, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, I think pretty much every um, uh, leader of any significance has endured seasons of suffering. Uh, in the New Testament, there are, you know, you could go to Philippians, you could go to 1 Peter, uh, uh, you could go to 1 Corinthians 4. But, but the passage that, that has really helped me the most uh, is Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 28. Um, you know, there it talks about uh, all of creation is, is groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And, uh, you know, we, we live in the overlap of the ages. Christ has finished his work on the cross. He's inaugurated the kingdom. And we're waiting for him to come back and uh, bring with him the new heavens and the new earth where we will see him face to face. A world where there will uh, be no more sin, no more suffering, no more shame. And so as we wait in the, in the overlap of the ages, uh, the Bible uh, kind of treats this phase, describes this phase as the pains of childbirth. And, and so the pain is real. I mean, we can yell and scream and cry and, and wail and weep during as we endure the pains of childbirth. Uh, but we endure all of that knowing that there is an indescribable joy waiting for us on the other side. Um, waiting for us on the other side. And uh, yeah, so, so me, for me, that perspective, you know, suffering has... Uh, uh, you know, different reasons. Uh, we will, I, I guess, we'll talk about that as we go along. But um, uh, this this portion of scripture, Romans eight eighteen to twenty, is really kind of uh, helping. But before that, I just want to stay, reflect, stay, pause, step back, and reflect a little bit. Um, any theology of suffering is incomplete without empathy, without grieving. So, so as we talk about suffering. As we talk about the theology of suffering, uh, I want to keep these two things always in the forefront. First is, uh, when we endure suffering, the Bible gives us permission. It actually invites us to lament, to grieve, to wail, to weep, and to process uh, all the challenging emotions we are experiencing in suffering in God's presence. So it's extremely important to understand that uh, theology of grieving and a theory, theology of lamenting is part of the theology of suffering. Similarly, the opposite of that, when we uh, when we are with someone else who's suffering, uh, empathy, you know, loving people as Christ loved us, uh, I think that's the greatest piece of theology when it comes to helping others in suffering. So any conversation on suffering, you know, it's easy for us to sit in a studio and talk about suffering. And I know that some of you who are listening to this podcast, maybe some of you are in, um, in are you know, deep in suffering at the moment. So we don't want to uh, trivialize that in any way. Uh, we want to know that uh, uh, you know we feel the pain, um, um, and uh, we, I think empathize. Empathy is uh, the most important aspect of the theology of suffering, especially as we worship Christ, uh, who is our faithful High Priest, who is able to empathize with us in every temptation and trial. Thank you, Anand. I I love to. Uh come back on this idea of empathy and I would love to talk about this as we kind of think about even practically how do we process this and how do we even help others. Uh, but typically uh, when I suffer or when people go, go through suffering, uh, instinctively the first question that comes to our mind is why does God allow suffering, right? Why am I suffering? Uh, why can't God stop suffering? Uh, isn't he good? Isn't he powerful? Uh, so 
so this question of why, right? So how, how do you process this question of, and I'm sure when you go through suffering, you've also instinctively, the question comes to us in so many ways because of our culture, because of our upbringing, maybe even because of our own theology. And so how do you, how do you kind of navigate that question? Yeah. Um, see, we see suffering from a momentary and finite perspective. Uh, but God sees suffering through through a much wider lens, through a much greater perspective. You know, when he created the world, uh, it was beautiful. Uh, there was no suffering. A good and a beautiful God created a world where there would be no suffering. Uh, but we sinned and we messed it up. So that's one bookend of the Bible. The other bookend is, you know, there's, a, there's coming a time when there will be no more suffering. Um, uh, a time where there will be no more pain, no more sickness, uh, no more death. Uh, no more disappointment, no more sorrow, no more hardship, no more suffering, uh, right? So whenever we think of suffering, we've got to see see it in the light of both of these realities. And in the light of eternity, spending all of us who believe in Christ, spending an eternity with him, uh, however long our life is, however long or short our seasons of suffering uh, that we all have to endure, um, it is but momentary. And so I think that's the first way we've got to acknowledge, you know. So um, God allows suffering momentarily. Uh, this life is, is, is here on earth. This is a moment. We have an eternity with Christ to look forward to. So that's the first thing to recognize. Why does God allow suffering? Whatever suffering God allows is momentary in the light of eternity. And in that moment of suffering, God allows that moment of suffering for various reasons. Part of it uh, is is just the reality that this is a broken world waiting to be redeemed. And uh, as, um, as this broken world waits for redemption, as Romans chapter 8 says, all of creation is groaning as in, as in pains of childbirth. So that's one, one reason why God allows suffering. Uh, the Bible gives us very many reasons. You know, it talks about uh, suffering produces uh, perseverance. Uh, Romans chapter 5, perseverance produces character. Uh, the Psalms talk about how, uh, Psalm 119 talks about how, uh, in my affliction, uh, I learned the laws uh, of the Lord. If I can just pull that verse out for us, uh, Psalm 119, where did it was that? Psalm 1971, I think. Um, if I remember correct, just give me a minute. Um, it, it basically talks about how in my suffering I, I learned uh, to, uh, to appreciate the laws and the statutes of, of, of God. Um, suffering is, uh, the Bible it talks about God allowing suffering as part of our refinement uh, of uh, the testing and, and the shaping of our character, the testing and refining of our faith. Uh, the Bible talks about suffering as discipline. And so there are many reasons why God allows suffering, but one thing we can be absolutely sure of, and I think that's an important part of the theology of suffering, is that whatever um, that, that God, for in the life of a believer, in the life of anyone who is a follower, a true believer, follower of Christ Jesus, suffering is never punishment. Uh, any suffering we endure is never the punishment of God. Uh, when I you, uh, when I say the word punishment, I use the word in, in terms of judgment, in terms of the righteous wrath of God uh, for our sins. Uh, for a believer, that does not exist because Christ has taken on his body the punishment uh, that we all deserved. So we can rest assured that no suffering we endure is the punishment of God. 
it could be discipline and you know Hebrew, Hebrews talks about calling us to endure hardship as discipline discipline that comes from the hand of a loving father it says which father has not disciplined his child and uh, you know, discipline comes from the loving hand of our father and sometimes discipline can be in the form of suffering uh, that's possible uh, but we can rest assured that our suffering is never the punishment of God because God is angry with us. That's that's just not possible because the wrath of God has been fully satisfied uh, in Christ, uh, uh, the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. Thank you, Anand. I think that's, uh, there's a lot of reasons there that publicly we can navigate to kind of really process the whys of suffering. And obviously, we, we may not fully know the, the real why. And I think uh, it is not uh, even one or the other uh, reason, or it's probably a lot of these combined together. So, uh, but, but, I, but, I really, but I really liked the, how you made the distinction between punishment and, and discipline, right? And as you were talking about it, I was thinking how uh, in our cultural context, uh, discipline is always in the context of punishment. Right, yeah. so we we always uh, look at our parents who discipline us, but it is in the form of punishment, uh, and it is always done with anger, and it's always because we've done something wrong. So we come with that cultural baggage, and we bring that into our faith. Uh, how how do you kind of separate that? Well, how are you yeah. thinking in terms of uh, separating discipline and punishment? How do we look at a God who is loving us through discipline? Can you just speak into that a little bit? Yeah, I think I think you're. Uh, it's a, it's a great observation and a question. Uh, let me re just reflect on your observation first, you know, the cultural baggage we bring into suffering. Uh, even if you look at the passage in Hebrews, uh, it says, uh, no hardship, no discipline is pleasant when we receive it. Uh, so in a sense, it's not only our cultural baggage. I think across human culture, across human civilization, no discipline is ever pleasant. You know, none of us really enjoy being disciplined. Uh, you're right, in India it's perhaps even more so, uh, but it's something that all cultures experience. So it's a great, uh, that, that was my reflection on the uh, on the observation. Uh, sorry, what was the question? I lost track. So how, how do we how do we kind of uh, separate this idea of punishment yeah. and discipline in our minds? Yeah. 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 yeah, I think the answer to that comes in how secure we are in our sonship and daughtership. Um, you know, how uh, solid our belief in the gospel is. Uh, the gospel of Christ Jesus is not only a gospel of justification, it is also a gospel of adoption. Uh, it's not only that God has forgiven us our sins, or it's not only that God has forgiven us our sins and credited to us the righteousness of Christ, but God has forgiven us our sins, credited us, credited to us the righteousness of Christ, and he has adopted us into his family as his sons and daughters. And so the more we have this, this biblical doctrine of sonship um, uh, in, in, you know, deep, deep, deep in our hearts, um, then I think uh, in the light of when we see everything, uh, every difficulty, challenge in our life through God as our loving heavenly father, always caring for us, uh, then I think we learn to differentiate. Uh, between punishment and discipline better. And we learn to recognize that in the life of a believer, someone who's truly a follower of Christ, someone who's, uh, who's, whose faith in Christ is, is sealed by the Holy Spirit, 
um, there is no punishment. And so all, all suffering, hardship, we can receive it as loving discipline uh, from the Father. Absolutely, Anand. I think, uh, I think you make a great point in terms of when we really understand how we are the children of God and the extent to which God has uh, went to even uh, let Jesus die on the cross to secure our adoption and to bring us into his family. Uh, I mean, that really informs how I suffer and why I suffer and all that. Right? I mean, that's going yeah. to be a big part of the theology yeah. of suffering. Right? Yeah, yeah. In my own life, I've, it's taken me a while to travel uh, from enjoying justification mm -hmm. to enjoying adoption. Mm -hmm. And I, I wouldn't even say that I'm still on that journey. Uh, you know, in my mind, I'm absolutely clear, you know, God has forgiven all of my sins, but maybe there are times in my life where it's not so clear to me that not only am I forgiven, but I'm also adopted. And so just enjoying the sonship that we all have um, in Christ, uh, I think is key to um, key to processing and living with the reality of suffering in a broken world. Good, Anand. Thanks. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a good macro view, and I, I, I want to press this question a little bit more. Mm -hmm. uh, so, for us, again, this, this idea of why, right? So, um, so in case we go through suffering, how, how mm -hmm. would you want us to process it? I mean, uh, how do we know it's not because of? I mean, it's not because of some sin that I've committed, and God is actually disciplining me to yeah. get my attention. Uh, or it could be something else. What are some ways I can kind of navigate this as I pray about this or as I read scripture? What would you What would you recommend? Yeah, God could be disciplining us because we are sinning to get our attention, but that's loving discipline. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as, as a father, I discipline my children. That's loving discipline. That's not punishment. So that's that's possible. Um, to to understand what is happening, why is this happening? Allow me to just go back to a couple of points that I made right up front. Um, I think a theology of suffering is incomplete without a theology of grieving and lamenting. Uh, we are invited to express our confusion, uh, our disbelief, our disappointment, our, our stress, our pain, our grief uh, very vividly in God's presence. I mean, the language of some of the psalms, uh, some of the psalms of lament, is is, is shocking. Uh, you know, good Christians don't don't speak in God's presence like that. You know, you know that's, that's the wrong view that we have. We are invited uh, to to mourn, to grieve, to lament in God's presence. Uh, we are allowed to vent our feelings. We are not just allowed; we are invited to vent our feelings. And, and I think that's the most important um, uh, part of the theology of how do we endure something. You know, if we don't, in our humanness, uh, in the emotions that we have that God has given us, if we don't vent, if we don't express it to God, uh, just trying to deal with uh, theology of suffering rationally um, is going to be incomplete. And I know some of us um, are, are growing emotionally. Uh, not all of us are, are comfortable expressing our emotions, uh, even to other people, leave alone to God. And so uh, I would encourage, uh, you know, people hearing this, to just reflect on um, how emotionally um, expressive we are, you know, how we're able to process these emotions, not just by ourselves, 
uh, in God's presence and in the presence of gospel community, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, ideally in the context of the local church. It is where the church we belong, is where people know us best, that's where we know people best. And so, so this, this real understanding of the theology of lament is, to me, the first step. Um, you know, without that, all the other pieces won't add up. Uh, having that said, that we must grieve in our suffering, we must lament, that established, um, then we can start trying to understand all of the other reasons. But whenever, whatever reason, you know, suffering, uh, sometimes our suffering is for the benefit of others, as, as uh, Paul talks about. Um, and sometimes it's uh, discipline because we've been sinning. Sometimes uh, it is um, uh, just part of our spiritual growth. Uh, sometimes we are being tested, we're being refined for the glory of God. Uh, whichever way we look at it, whatever may be, as you said earlier, you know, these are all not independent, isolated strands. They're all interconnected. And the best way to understand it is, I would again go back to Romans chapter 8. Um, you know, all of creation is groaning as in pains of childbirth. Uh, so we're living in a season where we, the reality of both grief and hope, uh, are, are, are walk, we walk with both grief and hope, uh, hand in hand. Grief in God's presence, hope in Christ. Uh, I think we, we walk with both hand in hand, both coexist uh, in this season. So I think it's important to remember that. Uh, that our, our suffering in whatever form, big or small, long or short, is not isolated in this moment. Mm -hmm. it, is, uh, it is connected to uh, a longer gospel story that's unfolding, uh, a longer redemption narrative that's unfolding in our lives. And in the light of the larger narrative, this moment of suffering, as the Bible says, is light and momentary. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and so... I think keeping that framework in mind is extremely important. Thank you, Anand. As you're speaking, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, uh, could, could this be one of those key pieces, especially in our context in India, right, where the church uh, maybe has lost it a little bit? This is the, the idea of lamenting, right? I mean, I think we... Uh, as a culture, and I think in some way our churches, we, we are very uh, quick to obey, sacrifice, we are quick to uh, praise even God at all times, and we want to rejoice uh, at all times. And so we are, we are good in all these aspects, but uh, rarely do we give space to lament, right, and to grieve, right? Well, do, you think, do you think that is probably one of the key things that we need to learn as a church in India? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Because I think somewhere deep down, um, I, I wouldn't even say the church, of, you know, even in my own heart, you know, maybe it's a cultural thing. Uh, deep inside, somewhere there's this lagging feeling that, uh, you know, grieving is unbelief. Uh, you know, we have this uh, triumphalistic notion of faith. Uh, uh, yes, uh, Christ helps us overcome because he has overcome. We can overcome the world. Uh, but, but uh, you know, we also see uh, Christ uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, grieving. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, and that doesn't mean uh, Christ was going through unbelief, not at all, mm -hmm. uh, you know. And so, uh, I think somewhere deep down, we have this wrong notion that if I grieve, if I express sorrow, that means my faith is weak. 
and uh, again, I, I, I think there's a lot of Indian cultural uh, thing, but I think that's part of uh, uh, every church uh, globally, uh, every Christian globally. I think, you know, this is basically legalism uh, that somehow my, my good behavior, I can't leave. I just have to, uh, you know, even through suffering, I have to be this good Christian and, and you know, without grieving, uh, uh, glorify God, you know. Uh, you know, Job comes to mind, and you know, we, we quote all Bible verses to uh, to kind of say that. And I think um, that is wrong, and that also actually connects with why we struggle to show empathy to people who are suffering. Uh, so again, the two are, are very interconnected. Uh, so I do feel um, that grieving and lamenting is such an important part of our faith. Um, we have a high priest can empathize with us. And uh, the Bible says we have a high priest in Christ Jesus who can empathize with us because the Bible knows we will suffer and we will grieve uh, in this season in, in the larger redemption narrative. Absolutely. And, I, and I, again, as you uh, pointed to Jesus' uh, 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 grief in Gethsemane, but uh, there's also the other time when Lazarus dies uh, and Jesus weeps. Right, and even though Jesus knows Lazarus is gonna, he's gonna raise Lazarus, right, in a few moments, yeah. but he does, he does give the time to weep. I mean, he takes the time That's to true. weep over that, right? And in some true. way, we are also waiting for Christ to return and a, a, yeah. a day when there won't be any sorrow or pain. Yeah, yeah. But giving that time to weep now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a beautiful uh, passage you turned our attention to, Rajat. I've thought about it a lot. Uh, you know, let's, let's just take a moment with that, uh, with that uh, incident where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, you know, uh, Mary comes in and Mary is weeping, and you know, Jesus could have said, "Don't weep, Mary. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead." Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, wouldn't that be our response? Don't weep. Don't don't grieve. It'll be okay. Uh, you know, don't worry. It, it, it'll be okay. You know, our so immediate response is stop crying, stop grieving. Jesus never tells Mary, don't weep, Mary, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, and as you pointed out, Ranjit, Jesus wept with Mary. Mary wept, Jesus wept, they grieved together, and then Jesus, uh, give, having given Mary the space to grieve, mm -hmm. to express her sorrow in God's presence, in Christ's presence, he then raises Lazarus uh, from the dead. And I think that's a beautiful way to look at uh, now, the grief we have now, and the joy uh, we will have in eternity to come, and so I think we can we can rest assured that Jesus weeps with us and He is present uh, with us in our suffering. And uh, yeah, and I think we can grow in our intimacy with Christ uh, in our suffering, uh, maybe more than any other way in which we grow in our intimacy with Christ. I would even say that unless we have suffered and and clung to Christ in faith in the, in the midst of our suffering. Uh, our faith has never been fully tested and uh, we've never experienced an intimacy, a fullness of intimacy with Christ. So suffering, intimacy with Christ and suffering, I think is, a, is an important and a beautiful part of uh, every one of our journey in faith. And I know some of our listeners uh, go through, I mean, tough times and... Uh... Sometimes we go through seasons where our prayers are unanswered and uh, our hopes uh, seem to end and uh, dreams are shattered and like disappointments and 
tragedy and loss and so uh, the pain is real right the suffering is real and uh how, how do we how do we suffer faithfully and as you're speaking lamenting is part of that right i mean how how, how can we because because again i'm thinking the way i would suffer is i would just uh clench my fist and i would just grit my teeth and i'm gonna go through suffering uh putting up a strong face putting up a smile before people being strong for others um uh, so that that's the that's the t- tendency right so but how, how does the bible really call us to suffer faithfully what does the picture of somebody suffering faithfully look like right yeah thanks Sanjay. you know i'm just you know as you were sharing i was reminded of how as a five-year-old or six-year-old uh my dad gave me my first cricket bat I was just so excited with the bat. You know, it was amazing. It was, I can safely say at that point, the happiest moment of my life. Um, within one or two days, the bat broke. It broke irreparably. And I thought that was the end of my life. You know, I thought that was the most cruelest suffering that I could ever endure. Uh, and uh, that is it. You know, I was crushed, disappointed. The suffering of my cricket bat breaking as a six-year-old was unbearable. Uh, you know, the light of eternity and the, the glorious joy of uh, seeing Christ face to face and being with Christ in eternity. Uh, all our suffering here and now is, is like that cricket bat breaking, you know, in one sense. So it's, I, I don't mean to trivialize anyone's suffering. Many of you listening to this are enduring great suffering. I don't mean to trivialize your suffering at all. But I just want to help us, invite us to see that it is passing. This light, this, all suffering is light, momentary, and passing. It's important to keep that in mind. Uh, what is a faithful, how do we suffer faithfully? Um, I think, uh, as Ranjit, uh, we've been talking about grieving and lamenting, uh, but it's important to note that grieving and lamenting never happens in isolation. Uh, it must happen also in the context of gospel community. So one aspect of faithful uh, being Faithful in suffering is not to isolate ourselves. I think we all tend to isolate ourselves in our suffering because, uh, you know, for very, very real reasons, uh, people don't empathize. That's real. Uh, you know, people give us pat answers. Uh, people give us theology, preach to us when we are suffering. Uh, and so there, there are a thousand reasons why we should isolate ourselves. Uh, but but, but uh, uh, in finite number of reasons where we should not isolate ourselves. And so any picture of being faithful in suffering, being um, um, yeah, being faithful in suffering must include gospel community. That doesn't mean you have to tell everyone in church all the suffering you're enduring. Uh, but surely there are four, five, six, uh, three, two, one at least person with whom you can uh, be vulnerable, you can weep, you can mourn, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that's very, very important. Um, so suffering, um, it's not good to suffer alone. Uh, we're withdrawing from gospel community. And the God's love flows to us through people. We, uh, we experience God's, God's love through our brothers and sisters uh, who are members of one body with us in the local church, the body of Christ himself. And so... I think that's that's an aspect of faithful suffering. Um, the second aspect, I think, is not to isolate ourselves from people and, sec- and not to isolate ourselves from God himself. 
we do tend to withdraw from God. Maybe it's an anger. Maybe it's just disappointment. We're disappointed that God allowed this. Um, uh, uh, right? And so, uh, faithful, being faithful in suffering definitely means not isolating us ourselves from God. Uh, it doesn't mean that burying, suppressing our emotions and, uh, you know, putting up a picture of, uh, you know, strength, not at all. Uh, being faithful in suffering is being weak, uh, being broken, and in our brokenness, uh, coming toward Christ, not withdrawing uh, from Him. Um, um, I, that would, uh, those are some thoughts that come to mind. Uh, I would also say, uh, you know, in the season through the suffering, uh, gently, slowly find a way to God's word, uh, irreplaceable. Uh, uh, you know, those seasons we might not be able to, uh, you know, do Bible studies, uh, but surely we can go to one passage a day, one chapter a day, a few verses a day, um, cling, uh, cling to that. I think that's, uh, that's, that's so important. You know, another image, another incident that comes to mind, um, may not directly answer your question, maybe it's connected. You know, I was um, a friend's parent, my pastor, went to be with the Lord. And uh, the friend was grieving. She was weeping inconsolably, inconsolably. And uh, someone came, you know, you know, the body was there, she was grieving. And uh, someone came and all that person did was sing a song of poignant worship. Not a word spoken. She just came, uh, saw my friend, saw her mother lying dead, and she just sang this very simple, beautiful song of poignant worship. And the moment she finished singing, my friend ran to her and just hugged her and went. I think that's the greatest expression of theology of worship being played. I'm the theology of suffering being uh, played out. Uh, not, not a word spoken. Um, you know, we need that strength in gospel community. You know, where she could not worship, my friend could not, you know, of course she knew intellectually, you know, that uh, her mom had gone to be with the Lord and all of those, all of those things. Uh, but somehow it all came together in that song of worship, you know. I, I'm reminded of that as soon as we speak. Absolutely, Aaron. So, uh, uh, one of the things that we Again, because of our culture, I think we think uh, that we don't want to we don't want to burden others with our suffering, right? So immediately, uh, as you were saying, how I'm thinking why I try to isolate myself when I'm suffering is I don't want to burden others. I don't want uh, I don't want to make others' lives miserable, uh, and so this is something I'll carry on my own, right? But actually, in scripture, scripture says the opposite. We are we are here to carry each other's burdens. Right? Yeah, we, we, when, when one person weeps, we all weep together, right? Yes. So uh, for somebody who is thinking that I don't want to burden people with my suffering, what as a pastor, what would you tell them? How, what, what encouragement would you give them? Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not a very um, uh, kind thing to say, but I think uh, I may, maybe I may not say it in the moment of suffering. Um, but what you just expressed, Ranjit, is just pride. You know, I mean, uh, when someone's withdrawing, this is not, uh, it's not wise to tell them you're just being proud. That's why uh, you're withdrawing and you're, you're, you're not asking for help. You're thinking you're being a burden to others. Um, 
that's definitely not what I would communicate. But but at some point of time, loving me gently, maybe not in the moment, but perhaps later. I think it's it's important for us to realize that it is pride. Uh, pride isolates us. Uh, we're just being uh, pride. We're just being proud. We're just being self-sufficient. Uh, we are relying on our own strength, uh, um, rejecting community. And so I think it's uh, uh, it's wise to remember that only pride causes us to say this. Uh, um, uh, again, I'm also not being naive in uh, not recognizing that maybe we've gone to people to share and uh, people have uh, not responded with empathy or maybe they've judged us or maybe they've just, uh, you know, shoved triumphalistic theology into us without giving us a space to grieve even for a moment. Um, all that's happened. Uh, that's I don't want to minimize any of that. All of that could well have happened and it's quite commonplace uh, in our context and, and, and culture. But uh, but in Christ, um, we, 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 we must not withdraw. Uh, you know, uh, it's not that we're being a burden to others. We're called to bear one another's burdens. And uh, yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah, and, and that is that is probably a, a big reality for us that uh, we don't really know what to do with other people's suffering, right? So when somebody shares, uh, we don't know we don't we don't know what to do. So we come up with all these answers, or we come up with solutions, yeah. and suffering makes us uncomfortable, right? So uh, so just to kind of move into that now, uh, how yeah. and we've touched upon the empathy at the beginning. Uh, yes. How, how do you how do you think we should respond to one another's suffering. How can I be of great comfort yeah. Uh, yeah. when somebody comes and shares, or when I know somebody's suffering? What, what would what's a response that I can I can do? We can do for this. Yeah, you know, I'm reminded of a time when uh, a dear friend of mine uh, lost his 19 year old son in, a, in an accident, and I remember going to the hospital. He, he, going to the hospital, he just came out of the morgue after identifying the son's body. And I don't know, what, what could I do? How could I possibly help? And uh, all I did was give him a hug and went with him. Uh, not a word. Not a word. Uh, just give him a hug uh, and went with him. And to the best of uh, my ability, I empathized with him. Just, just was there and I was there uh, a lot of time uh, through the night just with him. That's it. I don't think I spoke a word. Uh, uh, as much as I could, I put my arm around his shoulder, uh, was with him, you know, um, giving him space to give him space to grieve. When he wept, uh, I wept with him. Uh, you know, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, just to be there. Be with them in their grief, uh, and uh, you know, and and just your presence, even as uh, you know, as just our presence as another believer, our silent presence as another believer, points them to Christ. They know that when we are there with them in suffering, uh, that they are reminded of Christ. You know, in that moment, that's enough, and the love of Christ flows into them through us. Uh, through our silent sitting alongside them. So I think that's that's hugely 
uh, hugely important. We don't need to, uh, you're right when you said suffering makes us uncomfortable. And we tend to minimize or trivialize or, or brush aside uh, suffering. You know, we, we can err in both directions. We can uh, bury our suffering and move into hope too soon. But we can also languish in our suffering and never move to hope. Uh, or move to hope toward hope too late. And I recognize that our errors on both sides. But I think culturally we are more vulnerable to minimizing burying suffering and just just kind of you know shoving hope down someone's throat. And so I think that's that's really empathizing. And as we are with them in silent empathy, just praying for them, uh, just just uh, you know interceding for them in ways they may not be able to pray for themselves in their grief. Uh, just, just crying out to the Holy Spirit to come and be present with them in that moment to comfort, counsel them, to comfort them more than anything else. Uh, uh, I think those are those are two ways that come in, and and uh, also uh, recognizing that people do take a little bit of time to grieve, and so you know, not assuming that you know grief comes in waves. Uh, you know, it's not that once we grieve, grief. Because oh, there are some things that that happened in my life so many years ago that I still grieve, and uh, just just recognizing that and not seeing grief as a one one time process. You know, you weep uh, for two hours and then that's it. You have to get on with your life. No, sometimes grief comes in waves. You know, uh, and so so just understanding, recognizing, empathizing uh, with them, remembering that our presence as believers. Is pointing them to Christ, even though we may not speak the word. And there will be time to speak. Uh, there will be time to encourage, uh, even to lovingly rebuke someone who's wallowing in, in uh, suffering and sorrow. Uh, there is a place, there is a time for that. And so just depending on God for wisdom, depending on the Holy Spirit for wisdom, in uh, knowing uh, when to take that step of moving them, uh, encouraging them, uh, uh, you know, to, to, to start rebuilding them. That's important. Thank you, Arun. And I think our theology of suffering uh, and even your insight helps us think in both ways, right? One is when uh, when I suffer and I isolate myself, and one of the things I need to be thinking about is even my pride and why am I doing this, right? Is uh, is it uh, uh, is it pride that's making me kind of isolate myself? And so uh, I, I there's a way where I can look inward and kind of think about it. And as uh, on the other side, when somebody else is suffering. And I'm giving pat answers, and I I, uh, I don't want to engage. That also reveals my theology of suffering, right? So, uh, in some way, their suffering affects my good life, and I don't want to. Uh, my, my plans are being spoiled because of their suffering, and yeah. my happy life is yeah. spoiled. What, what do you think of that? I mean, is that uh... that's true? That's true. Uh, we, I mean, you just uh, explain in very nice words that we are all selfish people. Uh, you know, we, we are concerned more about our lives <clears throat> more than uh, loving and serving others. So that's that's reality. And this is this is one reason why suffering makes us uncomfortable. Uh, you know, so so you are absolutely right. This is something each of us need to repent of. And we talk about how all of life is uh, repentance, and yeah, uh, even when we suffer, right? So yeah, we constantly absolutely. repent. We repent of our pride. We repent of yeah. our selfishness, of the yes. suffering of others. So, um, yes. I think I think that humility needs to be there in some way that we we are messing it up somewhere inside, right? in our own hearts. Yeah. And sin is really affecting us. So, 
Good, Anand. Let's uh, let's close yeah. this uh, uh, podcast. And I really, I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. And I hope uh, yeah, for the listeners, this, this opens up. Uh, I mean, just their curiosity and understanding their own theology and their own hearts and how do we deal with suffering. Uh, but just a quick word as a pastor: uh, how, how does the gospel really uh, help you navigate seasons of suffering? What are some gospel reminders that you would like to leave with people? Uh, even as they go through suffering or even uh, as they process what you've said, anything yeah. from the gospel that you want to remind our listeners? Yeah, I think dwelling in the person of Christ, what he has done, what he is doing and what he will do, uh, I think that's all three are so important. Uh, what he has already done, Christ has suffered in our behalf. He was a man of sorrow, familiar with suffering. Uh, you know, he, he endured all that and he, he experienced the greatest suffering ever imaginable. You know, the wrath of a, a just and holy God, his, his beloved father being poured out on him for all of, all of our sins. And so Christ endured suffering on our behalf. You know, that's uh, what the person of Jesus did for us in the past. Died on the cross, rose again from the dead ascended into heaven, is seated at the right-hand side of God. And as Hebrews tells us, he lives forever to make intercession on our behalf. So in the present tense, the present uh, Christ, the Savior who suffered on our behalf, is our merciful and faithful high priest who, who is able to empathize with us, uh, who is able to, who's willing to intercede on our behalf. So his, his work is very present. He's a high priest. He's the one who's really, really empathizing uh, with us. And uh, as we experience the empathy of Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit enables us to groan, uh, you know, groanings that words cannot express. Uh, and so the present work of Christ, uh, present work of Christ himself, present work of Christ through the Holy Spirit in our, in our lives. And of course, the future work, what Christ is going to do is to, you know, bring us into a world the new heavens and the new earth where we will see him face to face and in that moment all of our suffering will will seem like that broken cricket bat and uh, we can move on to uh, rejoicing with him forever and ever in eternity and so as a pastor uh, you know as I empathize uh, as I just sit with people in their grief um, it's my joy privilege and responsibility to keep pointing them to the person of you know, as a pastor, there's only so much I can do. We're very limited uh, in our own ability to be with people, in our own ability to empathize, in our own ability to help people in their suffering. And and so we are, pastors are just signposts. Uh, you know, our joy, privilege, and responsibility is to keep pointing people to the person of Christ Jesus. And he can console anyone in any suffering. I think that's that's the best I can do as a pastor. And the only thing I can do as a pastor, the only thing I should be doing as a pastor. Thank you, Anand. Really appreciate your time uh, and uh, your insight. And I hope this has been a blessing to our listeners as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ranjit. Thank you.